0: This week on the show, we asked for it, you answered our call. This episode features you interviewing us with questions that you sent in. JT, Alan and myself answer everything that you ever wanted to know in this week's special episode of BSD now. BSD Now, episode 382, BSD Now Q&A 2020, recorded for the 16th of December 2020. This episode of BSD Now is brought to you by Tarsnap, the online backup for the truly paranoid. Go to tarsnap.com slash Now to check it out. Hello, I'm your host, Benedict Reuschling. And I'm Alan Jude. And I'm the producer, JT. Woohoo! This is the episode you've probably waited for the whole year, people of Night City. Um, you were asked by us a couple episodes ago and continuously uh, to send us questions for this special episode, everything you always wanted to know. And this is the episode where we answer.
1: Yeah, so Benedict, let's just jump in right now. The first question is for you. And the question is, you work at a university, right? Were you always into technology before you started working there? What exactly do you do there?
0: So yes, uh, you heard that right. I do work at the university. So that's the University of Applied Sciences uh, in Darmstadt, Germany. And that's the university where I studied. So I kind of never left the university, if you (laughs) think about it that way. Um, I'm a lab engineer there without a lab. So that needs a bit of an explanation. So typically, you have a lab, like a a room where computers are. That's not a server room. It's just desktop computers. Uh, And there's typically someone who makes sure that these work properly and uh, the students haven't messed them up too much. Um, So these are called the lab engineers, but I don't have a lab like that, I have a server or more like a rack where the big data cluster is uh, residing and I try to make that thing sing and dance to the tune of the professors or the students. And uh, that's what I do, so I take care of the big and loud machines. And uh, there, I'm not a professor, I don't play one on the internet, but I teach a semester uh, in the winter term, um, a class, it's an elective class, you don't have to do it if you don't like. Uh, for the undergraduates called Unix for Developers, where I teach uh, basics of Unix, some FreeBSD basics. Uh, I covered this in one of my Fosdem talks. And so that's kind of the exciting thing that I do in the teaching area. And yes, I was already in tech by that time. So before that, before I went to university, before I studied, I did some uh, hardware selling at a company that doesn't exist anymore. Not my fault. And so that was the, the hotline where people called. I want to have this motherboard. I want to have this memory and this CPU. And then later, um, I was called into the, the store. There was also a store there. So um, then I had to you know sell over the counter, which was challenging but interesting in itself. And so that's what I did before my computer science studies. And yeah, that was exciting. And uh, so I was in tech before that.
1: OK. Alan, the next question is for you. What is the next big FreeBSD project that
2: you plan on doing? Ooh, um, <laughs> There are so many interesting things I want to do and so little time to do them. I think the next big one I've been thinking about, uh, just been plotting in my head, but haven't started or anything, so don't get your hopes up too much, is an adaptive version of the Z-standard compression work that I did uh, recently. So the idea here is that you, instead of picking one of those many levels of said standard that you can pick from to be, you know, the one you're going to use to compress your files, you would just set it to auto. Uh, and then when you, uh, so as you write the data, it will compress it at the highest compression level, which will be the slowest. But as, as you keep writing data, if you write so much data that the system is having trouble keeping up at that higher compression level, it will lower the compression level uh, until it basically finds the kind of happy medium that uh, works for your your system. Uh, so basically, the, the ZSender command line tool has an option for this called dash dash adapt. Uh, and the use case for this was actually, you know, things like ZFS send before ZFS had built-in compression for replication, right? A lot of people were doing ZFS send pipe gzip and then over SSH and then gunzip and feed it back into ZFS. Uh, The problem with doing this a lot of times is that because gzip is single-threaded, it ends up being more of a bottleneck uh, and your replication could have gone faster because you had extra network bandwidth if you had just not had any compression. But conversely, sometimes if you have very compressible data, you're saturating the network with uncompressed data. And if you compressed it, you could get more. So because Zstandard standard is already multi-threaded, although in ZFS, we don't use the multi-threaded version, but each record you write gets compressed by a separate thread, so it is multi-threaded anyway, but anyway. Um, So this adaptive mode allows you to use it in a pipeline like that, and it will vary the compression level between high and low, um, or the upper and lower bound that you set, based on how much data is sitting in the output buffer. So if data is coming in very quickly, and we're compressing it, and we're sending it out, and the network or whatever is consuming the data after we compress it is keeping up, it'll keep lowering the compression level uh, to try to get the data to go through faster because obviously there's consumption bandwidth left, there's bandwidth across the network or whatever you're consuming it with left that could ingest the data faster so less compression will get us more throughput. Conversely, if we're outputting data very fast but the bottleneck is the network, then we might as well spend more time compressing it because the network's not able to take it as fast as we're doing. So it will keep notching the compression level up. Basically, to do something very similar to that in ZFS, except for it'll be, you know, when you write changes, they go into the anonymous section of the arc. Uh, You know, if it's an asynchronous write, then they buffer up there. And then on the next transaction group, they get compressed and written out. And then we'll basically look at that and say, all right, if that's filling up, then we need to lower the compression level to keep up. Uh, but if we're managing to flush the data out uh, with our problems, then we might as well keep doing as much compression as, as makes sense. Uh, so I'm guessing there'd be, you know, uh, a sysctl to set the maximum compression you want system-wide, uh, but you would just set on a data set, set auto, and it would do as much compression as makes sense. But if your system's busy, it won't compress it as much to avoid hurting performance. But when your system's idle, you can do lots of compression. That was an idea I had. But, you know, no promises there. (laughs) Uh, Outside of that, you know, I've had some other ideas around improving the the boot code some more to better handle being able to upgrade it and so on. Although, you know, a lot of the stuff I had thought about a couple years ago involving Gelly maybe makes less sense now that we have the ZFS native encryption where you know you can decide to only encrypt the files that you really need to and so the bootloader maybe the OS maybe doesn't need to be encrypted and it means you you can uh not need to put as much of that complexity into the bootloader and you know be able to load the operating system boot up but then you know after that load the keys for the the data sets that actually contain the the secret information Okay, so the next question is for JT, so I'll read that. Uh, So how did you first get involved in BSD? Weren't you originally a Linux guy?
1: Yes, I was originally a Linux guy and in some ways still am. And it's ironic because I almost was a BSD guy. So just a a quick story. I first got into Linux because I was asking a family friend who was a Windows admin constant questions about Windows and DOS, and he got sick and tired of that. So he went to one of the sysadmins that uh, he knew that ran a FreeBSD box um, at his work, and asked him to install a system for me that he knew nothing about, so that he couldn't help. So any questions I had, I couldn't answer. That guy was clever. He didn't want to be the tech support either. So he didn't install FreeBSD, he installed Slackware. So that's how I I ended up on the Linux side. And uh, stuck with it for a long time. I I liked it, I still like it. As far as getting involved in BSD, that was when I met Ken Moore at uh, Southeast Linux Fest, uh, and we started talking about Lumina and what he was doing there. And then after after the conference, I helped import that to Linux because I was using Slackware at the time. And then ran into the problem of I had bugs that he couldn't reproduce and he had bugs that I couldn't reproduce because the QT versions between Linux and BSD were slightly different. And it kind of became obvious that if I was going to help him develop it and bug test for him and all that, then I should be doing it on the same system he was doing it on, which was PCBSD at the time. So, got into doing work with PCBSD, bug testing other things with the releases, and then just over time got more and more involved, and then was there for the change to TrueOS. Um, and yeah, so that's, that's how that all started. As far as how I got involved in this show, um, so I was the producer for the Linux Action Show and Linux Unplugged, and for a short while, How to Linux. And in, I think it was late 2015, Chris decided he wanted to change the direction of the show. Um, Chris Fisher, not Chris Moore. And uh, so there wasn't as much that I could do. And Alan was looking for someone to uh, step in and take TJ's place because TJ had left. And it was it was a conversation where I found out about it. And I was like, hey, you're looking for a producer. And Alan was like, yeah, I, I am. You should do that. And I was like, OK, yeah, I should do that. And he's like, OK, you're going to do that. And then and then that was it. Um. So, yeah.
2: Yeah. And, you know, for the getting involved in, in BSD, I thought that had a little bit more to do with me dragging you to. Something. What did I, well you had dragged me to a lot of places. Developer Summit.
1: The the Dev Summit was actually when IX hired me originally um to help them develop what became True Command. I had done work with uh PCBSD and TrueOS, but it was just, you know, hobby stuff. Um helping out the project and you know. So see, so yeah, that was where I, I got the I guess you could say the first BSD job. Uh, so the next question we have is: Is there any way you can create an entire episode of BSD now on hardware that runs OpenBSD and FreeBSD? We see you on Audacity, etc., on a Mac.
2: Yeah. So Benedict uses a Mac, and I use a pair of Windows computers here. Uh, part of that was, you know, when Chris Moore and I started the show in 2013, there were a lot fewer options uh, for doing it in general, and uh, even a lot fewer for doing it with open source stuff. Nowadays, with OBS, the Open Broadcaster Studio, we could replace the the compositing app with that. Um, and then obviously Audacity. Um, if we didn't have to do video, it would be relatively straightforward to just do it with FreeBSD. Uh, I don't know about the editing, and we'll get to let JT answer that in a minute. But it would be possible to do the video on BSD. It just likely wouldn't have the same frame rate and lack of stutter. You know, it would, it would be good enough, but it may... It probably wouldn't be as good, but we don't really publish the video anymore. So maybe it's not as big of a deal at this point. It's mostly momentum. I have this set up. I just open it, do the show and close it. I don't have to mess with it. And, uh, you know, that's keeping the show, uh, low friction, uh, in order to do it is, uh, a big part of the reason why we've been able to do the show for seven years now. I was, uh, just looking it up. When it comes to April next year, that will be 10 years of me doing a podcast at least once a week. Uh uh, Amazing. 10 years straight. And that's a bit ridiculous. Yeah, that's a lot lot of time. So I think you mostly don't want to try to give me any reasons uh, to take a break (laughs) or to get frustrated with it. So... That's the main reason why. So it it could be done, especially now that it's audio only, it's much easier to do that way. Um, It's just, you know, I happen to use what's on this computer that I'm sitting at. Is part of the reason.
1: Yeah, on the production side of things, I could do all the audio production if I changed programs. Uh, the program that I use for editing is DaVinci Resolve, which uses a dongle for the license information. So I can take this to any computer and it works on Windows and it works on Linux. I have not tried it on a BSD system. I have a feeling that the hardware dongle thing probably wouldn't work the right way, um, the way it's identified and stuff. Uh, so that would be a roadblock. I could find, probably find another thing to do the audio editing, but like Alan said, when you have a system that works and you know it well and you can just get the job done, it's kind of an uphill battle to convince yourself, okay, let me go do this a completely different way that I have to uh, learn a new way to do it.
2: Yeah. And it's, it's not like I don't use FreeBSD. Like, uh, we get to one of the questions later. I have a FreeBSD desktop that I use every day. Uh, it's just for the, podcast production i happen to use my gaming machine and it uh happens to run windows
0: yeah i mean for me i'm just a a person in a video call every week or every other week um and so the audacity would certainly work on the on the free bsd box and so production side is a bit more difficult as uh, jt and alan mentioned but for me i could certainly do that if a machine would die certainly suddenly (laughs) but i don't want to risk it so yeah but i'll i'm i'm fairly sure i would be fine
1: okay so the next question we have in uh is if you could finish up one project right now what would it be
2: so this one kind of depends do do they mean you know if i had the option to drop everything and just work on a project for a while or do they mean if i could sprinkle magic fairy dust and just have it be done (laughs) So I it take turns this. There's a big difference. There. Yeah,
1: I take this as the hmm. latter. You could spring sprinkle magic fairy dust and just have the thing done.
2: Hmm. Okay. Um, wow. There are so many options at that point.
0: <laughs>
2: We'd have everything.
0: <laughs> right. So I would say that I would be very happy if we had like a freebies handbook page Uh, or chapter on ZFS that is up to date with the latest version on ZFS, like all the new crypto stuff and what you can do, that needs a bit of love. So that chapter would be nice. It's a, by comparison, it's a small project, but it still needs to be done because the the features are there now. The system has the functionality or will have it soon enough. Um, And so it would be nice to have the handbook chapter reflect that.
1: Yeah, for myself, I think it would be to finish up all the various things I'm in the middle of with uh, the Lumina desktop. I'm in the middle of a, a control center rewrite and also in the middle of uh, doing a lot of stuff in the file manager, but it's all about half done Then I just haven't been able to get the time to finish it all off.
2: Well, you know, if it's uh, magical stuff, then obviously the, the unicorn in ZFS is block pointer rewrite. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, as as Matt Ahrens has has noted a couple times, it is very likely that if that feature actually did get added, to ZFS it would be the last feature ever added to ZFS mostly because it would be so complicated it would make writing anything else after more work and it you know it could get to the point where it just wasn't possible to uh, you know build the rest um, so a little bit we want to be careful what we wish for there but um, yeah I think that would have to be it.
1: Okay. The next question is, how did all of you guys meet? How
0: did I originally meet Benedict? So, it must have been at BSDCon, I'm fairly sure. BSDCon
2: or EuroBSDCon?
0: Yeah, you were at EuroBSDCon in Poland, but I was also there, but I didn't see you because there were so many other people. And I didn't go to your talk. (laughs) Right, so, my very first BSDCon in 2012,
2: I didn't know anyone, really. Uh, And I think... I very successfully managed to avoid meeting anyone while being at a conference of hundreds of people. I think the only people I really spent significant time talking to were um, Nikolai Lifinoff, uh, and Colin Percival, maybe. And I think I met Mike Geiger, uh, who I definitely spent a lot more time with the next BSD camp and got to know better. So yeah, it wasn't my first BSD can. possibly probably my second BSD can uh, because I got invited to the doc working group as part of the dev summit for that. Mm. Um, and I wrote the beginnings of what became the replacement of the ZfS chapter to actually be up-to-date and accurate and not scary, kind of what you were just wishing for. Uh, I wrote that on the train on the four hour trip to BSD can and then at the between the dev summit stuff and the doc lounge, uh, in the evenings, I learned enough doc book to actually start building that. And eventually, uh, by the next year in 2014, uh, there's video of
0: Benedict giving me my commit bit. Oh yes. (laughs) That is already a legend.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So I guess we started BSD now in 2013 in the summer ish, I think. And because the first big thing we did was the Euro con in Malta. Because that's yeah. where we did uh, our first couple of in-person interviews. Because we got uh, Paul Henningkamp and a few others. And then there was, we had an awesome, like, 40-minute interview with Matt Ahrens. Uh, and the USB cable for the microphone wiggled loose about two minutes into it and didn't record anything. I... That's too still bad. makes me sad every time I think about it. It was <laughs> such a good and- interview.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. And you and JT?
2: Uh, JT and I, I think we first met at a Linux Fest Northwest. Well, actually at the Jupiter Broadcasting Studio, hanging out a couple of days before uh, Linux Fest.
1: Uh, I don't, I don't know if I was actually there early that first time or if, if, if if I was, I don't remember because the first time that I really remember, like other than, you know, talking to Alan on IRC because of the Jupiter broadcasting shows and BSD now, it was at Linux Fest Northwest. It was in 2014 and we were on the back wall and somebody was asking me something about puppy and I was trying to describe AOFS to them. And I just remembered there was this really tall guy right next to me who was just like intently listening with his hands behind his back, just kind of leaning over going, Oh yeah. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. And then later he's like, Oh yeah, we have something like that in FreeBSD," And I was like, Oh, you have union union FS. And he's like, yeah, you said, yeah. And then like, I just kind of like stood there for a second, trying to figure out who is this guy. I, he looks so familiar, but I can't place where. And you're like, by the way, I'm Alan. And i was like, yes, Alan. That was the mm-hmm. time I, I really remember meeting you. We might've bumped into each other yeah, at the studio, okay.
2: but, there
1: were so many people yeah, I in think the, the studio the night after that.
2: Yeah. I think it was it would have been the next year probably cuz I remember you had uh, shipped with USPS a whole box of stuff for the conference mm-hmm. of like gear you wanted to work on and stuff. And I was yeah. Like, yeah, that was a
1: smart idea. Yep, and then I met Benedict for the first time uh it would have been VBSDcon. I guess it would have been 2017. Yeah. Um, I think uh, that was the first time, last. or wait, maybe it was, I don't remember what year it was.
0: So it wasn't it would been the last one, and 15 it was the year before, yeah. I think it would have been like 17. That. Yeah, um, I've been there twice. Yeah, Yeah. so that, yeah, that okay.
2: works. Or, right, cause...
0: Benedict, how many meat BSDs have you come to? Uh, That must have been, not many, three? Yeah. three three-ish? three-ish? I think three yeah. is all I've been to. <laughs> Not to the first one, the, maybe the third. I did, the one my
2: one? first one was the one at Yahoo, but that wasn't the first one. Uh, yeah, that, that I didn't know to. To. And then there was the Western Digital one. And then there was uh the, the Berkeley
0: one, the one in, and then the Intel one. Yeah, the Berkeley one I went to. That was that must have been yeah. my first.
1: Okay, Berkeley was my first and then Intel. So we were there, but we actually didn't we didn't meet up, so <laughs> <laughs> right. Probably. So yeah. Uh, it was a little inefficient probably. <laughs> eh. It's all good. We met in the
0: end. That's what matters. Yeah. Exactly. And we stayed in touch this way.
1: Yeah. So the next question is, do you guys use Freebase-D as your main desktop OS? If not, what do you use?
2: Um. So yes-ish. So I have, I have two main desktops. Uh, this is my home office where I sit at home uh, and it's my gaming computer and it runs Windows. Uh, But when I go to work, uh, I go downstairs to my basement where I have an office, and that has a FreeBSD12 machine uh, using Lumina as a a desktop UI, Uh, and I do basically everything I do on my other computer. Basically, Uh, the really nice thing nowadays is that I use basically exactly the same applications on my Windows computer, my FreeBSD computer. And the Mac that I have that I generally only use when I travel or specifically need a Mac thing,
0: yeah, so my main rig is still Mac OS, maybe not in the future anymore, but we'll see how that goes. Um but from there, I just SSH into a lot of freebsd machines in the on the cluster and uh, on DigitalOcean. So I usually live in SSH so that the OS is just a minor annoyance that I use to jump to FreeBSD.
1: yeah, for me. I don't really have anything that I can call like my main system. I I kind of float between multiple systems. I have a desktop, but then most of the time I actually spend it on one of the various laptops that I have. So I have a laptop with GhostBSD that I use a lot. But as far as I don't really know what I would choose as my main um, system to then be able to answer the question. But yes, FreeBSD is in there for me. And the next question we have is one we're not really going to be able to answer because it's a question about a picture. And it's, can you give all of us the best shot of the outside of their windows? So I will have these links in the show notes. So if you want to see what the outside of our window looks like, um, you can, or I don't know, maybe Alan can actually put it up on the stream for those that are watching on Twitch.
2: Uh, Not easily at the moment. Not easily. Okay,
1: so you're going to have to go to the show notes. And this is why you should go read the show notes. Um,
2: <laughs> so, so you uh, can see ours. JT's appears to be a nice wintry landscape, uh, in the woods. <laughs> Mine actually looks very fall-like at the moment, uh, autumn. Uh, it's a blurry picture of my backyard and it's, you know, some mostly brown grass with a lot of leaves and barren trees. And you can see my little shed where uh, a large tree branch fell down during a, uh, a windstorm a couple of weeks ago. And bashed in one of the doors uh but there's just a little bit of lawn in the back of my house and that's what the window of my office looks out on
1: yeah and benedict says that uh, he doesn't have one but it's dark outside anyway so maybe i'll just put up a black
0: picture and just say that's
1: that's benedict
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah like that that's fairly accurate then (laughs) Okay, next
1: question. So how old were you when you got your first computer, and what was that computer?
2: I don't actually remember the exact date. I think it was Christmas the year I was 12. Really? For Christmas as well?
0: For me too? Uh,
2: (laughs) So uh, my parents bought my cousin's old computer. Uh, My cousin worked at uh, a large bank here and had, you know, Upgraded his computer as far as it could be upgraded Uh, and he was getting a new one and we bought his old one So I had a 486 DX2 66 megahertz uh, And because my cousin worked at a bank and had uh, Upgraded it to the max it actually had 32 megabytes of RAM Which was insane for a 486 Uh, Even most Pentiums you bought for a couple years after that only came with 8 and could be upgraded to 16 Uh, This was a weird compact one, and it had this, like, daughter board that you could just stuff with memory. Like, uh, when the computer actually arrived at my house, it had 48 megabytes of memory, but some (laughs) of that memory still belonged to the bank, and my cousin had to take it out. (laughs) It wouldn't have uh, probably been much use to me anyway. And uh, so I used that for a long time, and then I think when I was 15 or 16... Uh, I had worked all summer and saved up my money and bought a, a 400 megahertz Celeron to replace it with. Um, uh, but the 486 was, uh, quite odd for a home computer. Uh, so it had, you know, 66 megahertz, uh, 32 megs of Ram. It had two hard drives, a 400 megabyte Connor and a 500 megabyte Seagate SCSI hard drives. Um, and then externally it had a stack of devices. It had, a uh, A 1.7 times CD-ROM drive that had caddies. So instead of a drawer, it had what looked like a jewel case with a big spring-loaded metal thing on the bottom. And there were two of those. Mm -hmm. And you swap those around. Uh, A GVC 14.4 modem and an Adaptech tape drive with three tapes that I used for backups, Uh, which was mostly an exercise of feeling like I was doing something interesting. I don't know that I ever actually made it back if I managed to restore, <laughs> but you know, I spent a bunch of time like re-tensoring the tapes and just random things uh so yeah, that was my first computer uh it's still in my parents' basement in storage, uh unlike my Ooh. other computers, I've not got rid of it or anything.
0: <laughs> so I got mine around uh thirteen as well for Christmas, so that was my brother and me getting getting that as Christmas. And I very, very vividly remember that there was the uh Duke Nukem side scroller game, not the 3D one that wasn't out by then. The Duke Nukem Side Scroller game like in a demo mode or like where the credits rolled playing on that. And that was that was really eye-opening and great because we, we kind of wanted that computer. And then we found out okay it was only a 386, so not that good. And some games didn't work back then. Like with four megabyte memory you cannot go very far um and i had to share it with my brother so the, the the small hard drive that we had had to be shared like oh you get this amount of memory uh, disk space and um, i get the rest and so that was always you know, who can play and who can who needs to sit there and then we had to switch around and yeah things like that. Uh, three and a half inch floppies, the things that you play on that are not very uh, good. So uh, with DOS and as I said, a lot of games in there, shooting gallery and, and like all these old games, side scrollers mostly. But that was that was a start and you know we learned a little commands like how to create a directory and a and a file on DOS and yeah from there you you work your way up. It's it's a start.
1: Yeah, so my first was a Atari twelve hundred XL. It had a six five zero two CPU. It ran at one point seven nine megahertz, and you can tell you can tell the error because they were really proud that it was one point seven nine. It just didn't put one point seven, and they couldn't put one point eight. So they really (laughs) wanted to stress that you get these extra nine hundredths of a megahertz out of it. Um, It had sixty four k RAM, and it it the reason I call it a computer is because it technically had its own OS inside. And you could load other programs off of cartridges, tapes, or uh, floppy disks that you could buy as accessories to attach to it. The first PC clone uh, that we had was a Packard Bell. Can't remember the model. It was a 386. I know it came with 1 meg RAM, which then later that year we upgraded. Actually, for Christmas, we upgraded it to 4 meg RAM and a dual-speed CD-ROM. Um, But the problem was it kept always being used by trying to be used by all of us. So my dad ended up through a friend of his at DuPont getting a decommissioned uh, compact 286 laptop um, for me to use. Uh, For those that are on the Twitch stream, it's basically this. To to describe it, it's it's the classic 1990s beige, but it's a monochrome LCD. And while it can't do graphics, it can do ASCII. So it was good for some old DOS games. Um, but it's the screen itself was only like forty by eighty characters, so not real realistically usable for anything other than you know typing up documents and doing homework, which is why my dad wanted me to do that instead of be on the computer that could also play games. So yeah, and then from there, it just I, I forget what the one we got after that was, but that's my that's my entry. Um, another show and tell we have is a question: uh, Can we have a peek at your bookcase? And what books are there?
2: Yeah, uh, so I don't actually have uh, a picture handy. Uh, there's not that much to see anyway, uh, but I think the the most interesting and and I guess you know uh, treasured by me items in my bookshelf are a couple of the autographed FreeBSD books that I have. So I have a copy of uh, the Design and Implementation, autographed by uh, Kirk McCusick, Robert Watson, and George Neville Neal. Uh, Getting all three of those autographs required traveling to different corners of the globe. <laughs> I think I got George's in Asia, uh Watson's in Cambridge, and Kirk's in California. I know. At one point I was I had collected some of the autographs um when we were in Sofia or Belgrade. I forget one of the Euros uh, in in Eastern Europe. And I gave my copy to um, Pavel Doadek to get autographed uh, because, you know, he wasn't going to see somebody, uh, he wasn't going to be able to meet up with Kirk again anytime soon, whereas I was able to just get another copy and get uh, Kirk's autograph added back to it. Um, And then I guess the, the biggest one for me is I have a copy of my first book the FreeBSD Mastery ZFS that's been autographed by Jeff Bondwick uh, and Matt Ahrens, the co-creators of ZFS. And then just for fun, I got Kirk McKusick to autograph it as well because file systems, (laughs) right? Um, And I got a couple other people like uh, George Wilson, who've done a lot of stuff on ZFS uh, to autograph that. So that's my favorite. Um, I also have the Canadian edition of the advanced ZFS book where... um, Lucas went through and edited all references to ZFS to actually be Z-E-D-F-S, uh, and changed some of the words to French and so on. Uh, there are only five copies of that book in the world and I have, uh, one of them autographed on my bookshelf, uh, and some, some things like that. Um, I have a couple of Tom Clancy novels that I've gotten as gifts and so on, uh, cause that was a, a favorite author of mine, but not much else on the bookshelf. Other Some previous e-books I've collected and uh, some special ones where I've got autographs.
1: Yep. So my library is actually packed away uh, due to moving and the place I'm in now not being the best place to have books out in the open because of changes in temperature. Uh, but I will throw a picture in the show notes of what is about half of my library, which effectively is just think of the hardware store, those big plastic tupperware totes that you can you can buy and stick stuff in and just imagine stacks and stacks and stacks of them just full of books um i i definitely have way too many books but you know
2: i love books so and that doesn't even count your collection of software boxed software right Handbooks. no no it doesn't i will
1: (laughs) i will throw a link to that when i when i find it in the show notes as well as the uh the collection of retail box uh software that i've managed to track down there's still a bunch of the bsds that i'm looking for so if you have any you're willing to part with uh reach out to me and i will see what i can uh, compensate you so i can add them to the collection
0: so for me uh it's a mix of free bsd books my first FreeBSD book was from uh, greg lehaye and then from there uh you know the drew levines the uh michael w lucas's of the world so that got me into my bsd spiel um what else yeah, the graveyard actually, book um,
2: I had my copy of BSD Hacks from college, but I gave it to JT, who got it autographed by Drew and added to his collection.
0: Oh, see? Nice connection there. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, uh, the Graveyard book, 4-Hour uh, Workweek by Tim Ferriss, uh, Once in Future King, that took me a long time to finish because that is Old English and, oh dear. Um, so I took a long, <laughs> long breaks between and then picked it up and didn't know what I was reading earlier and so I had to start over, so... Um, uh, total immersion swimming, Yes, I'm still learning to swim. Uh, it's it's a challenge. Um, so books in German language, of course, fiction and tech. And uh, Graf currently lives in the bookshelf while the pandemic lasts. So I hope he's reading those and learning a little bit and not eating them.
1: Yeah, eating books is a bad thing.
0: <laughs> you get don't get smarter with that. <laughs> it's not it's not a shortcut. And I have a lot of uh, books in front of my uh, bed that I always wanted to read in the evening but then i'm too tired to read and the books just keep stacking up and i will one day read them all but that probably never uh, happens yes
2: that was um a thing i saw on twitter earlier today actually it was you know somebody had a big library and a guest asked them you know have you read all those books and he's like no just like i haven't drank all the wine in my wine cellar (laughs) these are the books i'm saving to be able to read when i when i feel like it or a special occasion or something
0: Oh, yeah, you could read the books while drinking the wine, so. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Okay,
1: next question is, what desktop window manager shell do each of you use?
0: Ah, great question. So um, you're looking for recommendations, right? So I'm on macOS mainly, but when I'm on FreeBSD, it's i3. And shell, it's shell. Um, it's not with the Oh My Z shell extension. So I'm working my way slowly into the plugins so that I know what I'm getting there and not uh, adding some extra craft that just loads, makes the load times of the shell uh, longer. But as plugins, I can recommend the um, auto suggestions. That's really great. Everything that you've typed before, they pull that from history and you can auto complete it. It's just saving so much time.
1: Yep. For myself, uh, I use Lumina and ZSH, and I use that on all of my uh, FreeBSD and Linux systems.
2: Yeah, uh, both my uh, FreeBSD desktop and my uh, FreeBSD laptop use Lumina, and uh, because the one of the first things I learned about BSD was from, I think, the third or fourth hack in Drew's BSD hacks book, which was tweaking the TCSHRC uh, to do typo correction, so if you type grep and hold shift too long and you get a capital g it's like did you mean grep spelled correctly and i'm like yes and things like that <laughs> uh, i've gotten so used to it uh, i still use that I, I do want to get to something better like zsh uh it's just a matter of never got around to it and tcsh is built in versus a package i have to install so it also means it as a login shell it's good because it won't be broken during a package upgrade or something but you know my tcsh config could be, you know, once you log in, start zsh, so that you have a fallback uh, if that doesn't work. But, you know, by default, you have a a reasonable shell. Next question we have is, what spoken languages do you speak?
0: (laughs) Some say I speak German and English, well, obviously, a little bit. Um, and I'm currently learning a little bit of Spanish uh, via Duolingo at the moment. So I'm switching from Japanese uh, during the pandemic. I will probably regret that because everything will be forgotten, but I'm switching to Spanish. It's very, very low level at this point.
1: So uh, I speak English and bad English. Uh, kudos to anyone who gets that, uh, that quote reference. And I also know some French. I used to be fluent, but then I didn't use it for about 15 years and as it turns out if you don't lose language you kind of you kind of lose it um i've tried to pick it back up again multiple times but the problem is if you don't have someone to continually practice it with once i relearn it i'm gonna run into the same problem of out of not use i will end up forgetting it so yeah
2: yeah i've only uh barely managed to master english and that's about it. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, we, we were forced to take French classes from about the age of 10 to 17 or so uh, in Canada. But, you know, I learned to conjugate some verbs. I never really learned to string a whole sentence together.
0: Mm. Well, for me, this podcast is also kind of good way of keeping my English fresh, speaking especially. So, yeah. Yeah, languages
1: are definitely if you don't use it, you lose it type of thing.
0: Yeah, so we're not starting a podcast in German for you guys, but <laughs> it could be a thing. <laughs> so yeah, we'll stick with English for now.
1: <laughs> so what non-computer hobbies do you
0: guys have? You mean in our free time? <laughs>
1: yes, in all that free time uh, that you have.
0: So at the moment, I can't do it at the um, the, the gym, if you want to call it that. It's uh, So I do Tai Chi classes for like Eight years now, uh, but so we in the summer we could switch to the park or to uh, the woods. But now in the winter it's not possible, and the the school is closed. So we we're doing it via video. It's not the same. You you kind of get need a, a teacher that kind of aligns you properly and tells you what to, you're doing wrong. So um, currently that is my only hobby.
1: Uh, for myself, I have I have way too many hobbies. So photography is one of them, but it's also a job for me. So about a third of my income actually comes from photography. So I don't know if I can count that as a, as a hobby or not, but it is definitely a non-computer thing that I do quite a lot of. So beyond that, I do a lot of work on my uh, Volkswagen. I have a Volkswagen Corrado that I've been working on restoring. That's kind of been put on hold because I am spending a lot of time now working on restoring the old Victorian house that I bought. So that's where, that's where most of my free time goes right now, uh, unfortunately. And because of COVID... I've been unable to keep up with going to the gym for Krav Maga, which I learned when I was in the Air Force, and I've been trying to keep that up. Uh, I haven't been able to do that. And the other thing that I, is, I would say is my one of my core hobbies is hiking and camping. Um, I've hiked the northern half of the Appalachian Trail. I, I want to finish it up one of these days. I keep planning to, but then never getting around to doing it. And I'd love to be able to actually do the uh, PCT and the CDT, the, the Pacific Crest Trail and the Continental Divide Trail. Um, I'd really like to, to finish all three of those at some point.
2: Yeah. Uh, I've definitely been bad at not having a hobby. You know, I I used to go skiing, but I haven't been in years. Uh, I always kind of want to, but never enough to actually get around to doing it. (laughs) Um, and yeah, uh, so, you know, I do some biking for exercise, uh, stationary during the winter, but that's about it. I need to get better at that, but never have time. (laughs)
1: My hobby is watching. Yeah, television. sounds like you need some more hobbies. So, when COVID passes, um, are any of us going to make it out to a BSD pizza night in Portland?
0: Well, love to. Thanks for the invitation.
2: You know, it's a long trip for one right. evening, but uh,
0: yeah, <laughs> true.
2: Okay,
1: and now let's have some rapid fire questions. Let's yeah, try we're to really short on time some so of we these pretty quick. quick. So what was the first car you ever owned?
0: Uh, Mercedes smart car, two seater. Ha. Uh, the, that was the, the gasoline one. I'm currently on the electric one.
1: Ooh, nice. Uh, so my first was a 1987 Volkswagen Scirocco.
0: Cool.
1: Uh, I don't drive, so I've never actually owned a car. <laughs> Okay, well, that actually answers the next question, which is, uh, do you own a vehicle? And if so, what make, model? So we know we know Alan's answer. So,
0: Benedict? So mine's the leased one, so I have to return that in like three years. Um, so that's the smart car electric version. And I like that. Okay. Electric driving is just great.
1: So I have a uh, VW Corrado that I mentioned before that I'm in the middle of uh, restoring. Um, my daily driver is a 2011 GLK 350. And I also have a 89... Um, kawasaki uh bike but i don't i don't ride it that much anymore so yeah okay next question Stay, favorite star franchise star wars star trek stargate Battlestar, star etc Ooh, here we go so
2: yeah i'm long established as a star trek fan and i remember many arguments with chris moore about his love of star wars <laughs> uh so definitely star trek
0: and i guess stargate is probably second place so for me, it's Star Wars and Star Trek. So I'm switching between those. But longer in, in Star Trek, uh, never seen Stargate or Battlestar Galactica. I have to kind of catch up on those. And I hear The Expanse is also great.
1: Yeah, So, but that's, of course, not a uh, not a Star that's franchise, a which, which torpedoes <laughs> my answer, which would have been Babylon 5, but I'm not allowed to give that for this question. Um. So I would say Stargate. I've had friends that have worked on the show. Um, a good friend of mine is really good friends with Peter DeLoise and has worked before with Michael Shanks. Um, so through that connection, I got really into the show and being able to hear some of the fun background stuff while the show was in production.
2: And that's cool. I remember seeing a preview, of an episode on some video sharing site or something where it was like the, a cut of the show they sent for awards consideration or something, and it didn't have the special effects yet. So oh. <laughs> that changes everything, yeah the, especially the magic on a show gone. about you know aliens and starships and so on <laughs> uh, so our next question was for j t uh will you ever host any more b s d now episodes? Well, yes technically this counts right
1: yeah I, I, te- I think technically this is the answer, yes, um, yeah, I'm happy to do it in the future when when Alan and Benedict need me to cover for them uh, it's never really been a i won't do it, it's just the opportunities for it haven't been uh don't come up often uh, you can fill in for me anytime <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh i see how it is i see how it is yep.
1: Are, did you send this question in alan is that, is that where this
2: oh, came from not actually that uh but yes it was uh great to be able to have jt fill in when uh when i was in the hospital in january so
0: oh yeah and the the, the fans of the show reacted positive to that not to the hospital thing but to the <laughs> jt doing the episode <laughs> yeah
1: yeah we don't want to make it sound like our fans want alan to be in the yeah hospital. yeah that's, no that's no a bad no thing
0: <laughs>
2: Okay, so favorite superhero, Marvel and or DC? I'm I'm not a big fan of superhero stuff. If I had to pick one, I don't
0: know, I found Iron Man comedically amusing. (laughs) So I don't also have much exposure. So I had one what wherever I got that from, uh one Spider-Man comic, that's all (laughs) sorry.
1: Yeah, myself as well. I'm not I'm not really a fan of the whole Marvel DC thing. If I if I had to pick one I would probably say captain America just because I thought the movie winter soldier was entertaining. But beyond that, I, yeah, I don't know. I'm not really a comics guy. So sorry about that. Um, following that up, what is your favorite game or
2: games of all time?
1: Now this doesn't specify computer games, so I don't know if we should include board games or not, Mm. but I'll just let you guys answer as you will. Uh,
2: For, for computer game for me, definitely, uh, civilization from Sid Meier. I've, played, I think, every different incarnation. I had the first one for DOS, uh, and then I played the second one and the CivNet, and then I got Civ 3 for my birthday one time, uh, and then I've had 4, 5, and 6, and many of the expansions, and even played Colonization and a couple of the other things. Uh, And I still occasionally on a weekend get uh, a couple of friends together and get to play a game of of Civ 6, so... That's definitely my favorite. Oh, yeah. So
0: I had only Civ 1 and 2, but that played extensively, not the other ones. Uh, And also colonization. I dig that up occasionally, like for a weekend, just one or two games there, and I'm all set again to just doing the settling, getting a lot of money, declaring independence, and I'm off. (laughs) Yeah, they they did a version of it
2: based on, as a mod on Civ 4. So there was actually like a a Windows version (laughs) rather than just the old DOS version. Oh, cool. I should check that out. Uh, and they also recently released, as I think a free thing, if you have just a base game, uh, a, a pirates mode for Civ 6 that kind of gives you uh, part of the gameplay from the old uh, Sid Meier's pirates game, which was pretty amusing.
0: Ah. Oh, yes. And I also hire a lot of privateers and rob the other colonies. <laughs>
1: As one Yeah, day. so my favorite computer game would probably be uh, Sid Meier's Alpha Centauri. Um, I still play that game today. I have a, an XP VM that I specifically have just so I can play that game. Um, so, yeah, that would be it for me. As far as board games, if I was going to answer, it would be a game called Axis and Allies, which is a uh, World War II uh, recreation game. Uh, next question is pants or no pants on virtual meetings or presentations? It depends what you consider pants. <laughs> I'm wearing... Well, I'm assuming that we're not using the British definition right, right, right. Here, no, but I just mean that would, uh, that would be a little not safe I, for work. I,
2: I, I'm wearing, like, <laughs> jogging pants at the moment, not pants I would wear outside. <laughs> so, I'm not just in my shorts or something, uh, but I'm not dressed the way I would be if I was leaving the
0: house. Yeah, Uh, we're at home. I mean, same thing. I mean, I'm not...
2: It's wintertime. This will often involve, you know, flannel pants that most people would think of as what you would sleep in, not what you would wear around during the day.
1: Yeah, so for me, uh, definitely, yes. um, Proper dress the whole way. Because when you're on a video call, every once in a while, you do have to get up and go get something. And if you're not wearing anything downstairs, that can definitely be awkward. So... I'm gonna I'm gonna cover myself and just make sure that that that's uh, not gonna be a problem. Do you or have you used any alternative operating systems that are not mainstream or considered retro? If so, what are those?
2: Not really, no. You know, I started with DOS and then into Windows, and then uh, you know my foray into FreeBSD. I think the only slightly weird thing I ever used was Corel Linux for about a week. Uh, on when I got my second computer i tried linux on my first computer uh but it couldn't connect to the internet with my hardware uh it didn't understand my us robotics modem it was an old like isa hardware modem or something and i couldn't make it work uh and so i gave up on it
0: <laughs> yeah i don't have anything that or anything that you would call um non-mainstream or retro so I went from DOS to Windows to uh, XP to macOS to FreeBSD.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I used to I used to have a system for BOS back in the day, and I really liked BOS, um, but of course it, it went away. So I do actually have a laptop with a Haiku install that I still use often. Um, but that would that would be it for me as far as uh, alternatives. So who has more window? Or sorry, who has more animals at home? I don't have any.
0: Yeah, same here. No rats in the, in the in the walls.
1: Yeah, this one I knew I was going to take because he didn't specify pets. He just specified animals. <laughs> and I definitely went on the wildlife front. Uh, I mentioned the old house. There's, unfortunately with old houses, there's tons of points of intrusion that little animals can get into. And you don't know how they're getting in, but you just know they're getting in. It's like, I know I have, three squirrels that live between the floors um they come and go throughout the day i've got a groundhog that lives in the basement oh. and every once in a while i see a chipmunk shoot across the floor in the living room so that's uh that's another one of those things for why the house needs to get fixed um so in a way i'm kind of like dr doolittle living with the animals uh but they're they're nice um and they pretty much for the most part mind them keep you know mind their own so over here yeah, before like there's, there's
2: a rabbit that lives Somewhere in the yard or the neighbor's yard, and we see scooting across the driveway frequently. And uh, a chipmunk who likes to stand on the front driver's side tire of my girlfriend's car and just look at people. Or, um, we have a, a mulberry tree in the front yard, and when mm-hmm. it's uh the right time of year, those berries are falling off, and the birds are getting them all, and the squirrels, oh, yeah, and the chipmunks, uh, and they. If they've been drying in the sun for a while, they fermented a bit, and then you have drunk squirrels fighting over berries in the front yard, or in particular birds doing that, and then the chipmunk stands on my front step and and chirps at the birds, and it's this very odd sound. You're like, what is that noise? You look at the door, and you see a chipmunk standing on on the front step there, just yelling at the birds. <laughs> you bunch of crazy drunk birds. So, Alan, uh, that
1: Tetris cube thing you have in the back, does it take batteries?
2: Uh, Actually, no. There's an adapter, and it plugs into the wall. So it's not that the batteries were dead. It's just I stopped bothering to turn it on when we stopped recording the video. (laughs) And I just stopped rearranging it into different patterns because it just (laughs) wasn't worth the effort anymore.
1: Yeah, okay. Uh, I want to be very clear. I did not ask this question, but uh, it did come in. And Are you guys going to come on uh, my new show?
2: Right, you had been asking me about other people for that too. Um, this is the, what's the show called? So
1: this would be. I'm guessing he's assuming the uh, the show Open Source Voices that I'm doing, which is just doing interviews for people that work in open source. Um, so yeah,
2: yeah, uh, yeah. it's Why mostly not? a matter of finding <laughs> some time to do that, but uh, for sure,
1: yeah. Yeah, right now that show is actually on hold because the compressor that I was using, that I was doing my audio with locally, um, that compressor is on the fritz. So I've been trying to get it fixed before I go back into doing that um, because I liked having a nice, a little bit more of a cleaner sound than what I'm able to do in this show right now. So when uh, when I start that back up, then I'll figure out when I can get you guys uh, Yeah, we're on the list. Up. Okay, next question. The next question for both of you guys, have Benedict or Alan lost anything on the way to and from a conference?
2: uh no i've lost things at a conference though that's slightly different um i've definitely lent out uh, a mac video adapter thing i think it was at the zfs user conference and forgot to uh hurry up and get it back and i think the person i lent it to didn't remember who lent it to them uh and probably left it on the podium and then <laughs> when cleaning up somebody else is like who is Or something. Uh, it, but nothing important there. Yeah, nothing serious, though.
0: Yeah, for me as well. Only a lot of sleep flying to HBSD Con.
2: Yeah.
1: Okay, Benedict, are you going to do your Noel blocks again?
0: So they're up. Um, I can briefly show you. They're currently saying Elon, but that can change every week. Uh, it's not visible. So, um, yeah, they are there they spell different letters and words
2: at this point this episode is coming to you uh on what like christmas eve or whatever um so it's (laughs) late to start doing any of the noel stuff
1: yeah yeah so another question for benedict is do you make your bed every wednesday morning because it always looks great
0: Uh, Oh, thank you for that. So I try to make it every day, but I sometimes need to rush out quickly. So I forgot, but um, I try to. And of course, before the show, I try to clean up a little bit. And I put up a nice video that you should watch because, yeah, motivation to make your bed is kind of important. So just watch that. You You will see what I mean. JT, are you Batman? Because the episodes are always awesome, sir. So thank you.
1: Uh, so, can first off, there's a philosophical question here is that can Batman ever admit to being Batman? Um, Like if I were Batman, wouldn't it be ne- a necessary fact that I would have to deny being Batman? So I'm going to respond to this question by saying no. No, I'm not Batman. And you can take that as you will. Uh, the next question we have is what is your daily driver hardware?
2: Uh, so that's actually about to change for me. Uh... The knock at the door earlier, I think, was the last of my new computer parts arriving. So I had (laughs) an E3-1275V6 with a Supermicro workstation board. But uh, a few weeks ago, uh, AMD had some kind of Twitter contest where they were giving away uh, a 5800X to a winner and their friend. Uh, And it was, you know, retweet this and tag somebody or something. And my friend Wes uh, had retweeted that, and tagged me, and he won. So we each got uh, a new Ryzen 7 5800X in the mail. Uh, Ooh, and so great. I've nice. since managed to cobble together the rest of a computer to go with it, uh, and I'll be switching over to that. So I have a, a nice new uh, Ryzen assistant to try out uh, and somehow find time Ooh, to build that and install OS and get everything switched over to it.
0: Nice. I'm so long have been in the market for a new laptop. I was just waiting for the right one to appear and uh, so I'm currently on a MacBook Pro Retina end of 2013 so you can see um, how old this is. Um, I'm in the market for an M1 so they look interesting. I'm still thinking about uh, whether it's going to be the uh, the MacBook Pro like this one that I currently have or the the Air so I'm still out on that. I'm still waiting a bit for the uh, some of the kinks to be removed from there. But uh, it shouldn't wait Didn't too you long because this thing is dying. Uh, that too, that is my work laptop. And I'm using FreeBSD on that, so on and off. Um, yes, uh, that is sponsored by my university, so thank you. And I'm I'm using that. I'm getting uh, back to it. So if that one dies, I have a backup.
1: Yeah, so my systems. I have a custom Intel system uh, just a desktop, and then I have three thinkpads, uh, X270, an X250, and an X230T. Um, and following up on this is, who has more servers or VMs at home? Alan, easily. So I think Alan definitely beats me when it comes to VMs. I think I might give him a run on servers. So I have a ton of old servers that have been hand-me-downs, uh, a bunch of 4U HPs, a, a uh, see, so yeah, that's a 10U HP as an eight socket box. I have three uh, HP blade centers that each hold eight systems. I have three HPC 7000 blade centers that hold 16 systems, a couple Sun 280Rs, those are really old, and a bunch of Dell and IBM 1Us, and then a whole bunch of other stuff that I can't even think of off the top of my head. So I think maybe I might, if, if you ignore his work stuff and, and we put that off on the table, I think I might have him beat. But as far as VMs, I'm pretty sure he, he crushes me in that number.
2: Well, VMs. I think I have two. Oh, okay. Uh, I don't use very many VMs because I have lots of machines. <laughs> um So yeah, like pers- my work stuff and personal stuff is a little munged together. Uh, but yeah, I have a one rack full of stuff. Uh, and so JT definitely has me beat on I think the total count of machines. I don't know if you actually looked at the amount of work they could do i guess even then that those blade centers will blow me out of the water but uh,
1: well yeah they're dense but they're old uh westmere processors so i'm pretty sure your rack would be able to to beat um, everything i have if i powered all of it on into one giant cluster not
2: just because like there's only like six machines in my rack there's, my rack has a lot of oh, storage okay. but not that many cpus ah you know there's uh There were a pair of 32 thread systems but one of those actually moved back to the data center because we ran out of space in the data center so one of the backup machines had to be switched into a production machine because you know we didn't have enough usage to to make sense to buy 24 more hard drives in another system so we rearranged the backups a bit and and set one of those machines into production um so while there is over half a petabyte of storage in my basement in total, I don't think there's even 200 CPU cores. Mm. Okay, one thing, maybe even if if you only count cores and not hyperthreads and so on, it might not even be more than 100. One thing I would love to do that uh, HP DL980, the
1: eight socket box, it's uh, 80 core, 160 thread. I would love to find somebody with a new Threadripper, the 64 core, 128 thread, and actually compare those two side by side on compute ability and power utilization. Because I know that box at idle doing nothing sucks down a kilowatt and at full load is like 2.7. It would be interesting to see it because that came out in 2011. It would be interesting to see what that 10-year delta has gotten us for performance per watt.
2: Yeah because I think my entire rack is about 2.8 kilowatts and that was before the removal of the one of the two biggest machines yeah
1: yeah the the blade centers are even worse on power the uh the the 16 oh, yeah. bay a rack full of those i mean each one can at like full max load do eight kilowatts in itself and f- of course now it's impossible to find a data center that'll give you you know i would like 30 kilowatts in a rack please they're like uh, no 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 we're gonna split that over a couple racks we're not we're not gonna deal with that density of heat um so the next one
2: we have
1: is, what books are you currently reading?
2: Um, I just finished uh, Chris Hadfield's An Astronaut's Guide to Life on Earth. That was quite oh, yeah. interesting. I like that I've one. I've read that. Um, and then, I don't know, I'm in some random techno-thriller called uh, Raven One at the moment about,
0: like, jet fighters. <laughs> huh. So I read uh, Anti-Fragile by Nassim Taleb. So uh, there are things that uh, are fragile, that just break under stress. There are things that are robust. And he argues that there is a third thing, anti-fragile thing, because there's no word that, to describe that. Things that improve when they are put under stress. So that's the, the theme of the, uh, the book.
1: So I'm in the middle of a couple. Uh, I'm rereading a book by Douglas Hofstadter called Godel, Escher, and Bach, An Eternal Golden Braid. Uh, I'm also reading, uh, rereading another book by a different Douglas, uh, Douglas Rushkoff, uh, "Programmer Be Programmed, and I'm slowly working myself through a, it's a four book series on the American Civil War that was written in the 1880s, so it's really fascinating because it's written by the people who are actually in the Civil War about what they did and why they did it, instead of just reading a modern recount of people going, oh yeah, this is why they did this, this is why they did this, you actually get those firsthand accounts, which is really interesting to me
0: from both sides
1: yeah okay so favorite mechanical keyboard switch cherry mx Kali, Gateron, etc uh
0: so cherry mx brown at the moment in the ducky 12 sf 65
2: uh yeah, mine's a, a cooler master keyboard with uh cherry mx blues you can probably tell from the noise when i'm using a cheap rubber dome keyboard right now to try to avoid polluting the podcast um but when i'm actually working yeah it's uh, a cooler master master keys uh with cherry mx blues so i actually
1: prefer uh mechanical scissor switches instead of the the classic mechanical switch um so i have uh on my desktop i have a logitech i think it's a k830 i'll double check in and, and put that in the show notes but I like the shorter key travel, and I haven't found a classic mechanical switch that has a short enough throw for me.
2: Right. Uh, So I think that's about all we have time for uh, this time. But thank you to everyone who submitted uh, questions for us. Uh, It was a great way to uh, fill up the holiday special episode. Um, And uh, we hope everybody has a, a good holiday season. I know it's going to be a bit strange compared to most years, um, but hopefully, you know, things start to improve next year.
0: Yeah. So best wishes from us to you. Uh, We will not go anywhere. We'll be still around in 2021, uh, but until then, have a nice holiday um, and yeah, best wishes.
2: Yeah. Thanks for listening, guys. And a big thanks to our sponsor, Tarstamp. Uh, So this week's episode was brought to you by them, you should head over to tarsnap.com slash bsd now. And, you know, a great new year's resolution is to start doing backups. Uh, And if you're going to do backups, you want them to be secure and private. And the only way to ensure that is with Tarsnap, because you get the source code for the client uh, and you can make sure it does exactly what it says on the tin. And it's pay as you go. uh, So just go over to tarsnap.com, deposit a few dollars, start doing backups. Uh and you know, you'll have accomplished your New Year's resolution. Uh and hey, if you do it soon enough, you can accomplish your 2020 New Year's resolution. <laughs> oh yeah. You still have a little bit of time left before the year's over. So uh we'll probably do questions like this again sometime. So if you have any more questions, do feel free to send them to feedback at bsdnow.tv. Uh and you know, if you have any other suggestions for topics uh we should cover on the show or other things we should talk about. Uh, send them in and that's how we make sure that we make the show that you want to listen to
0: exactly and uh, you never know what you learn (laughs) among ourselves as well so uh, it's definitely exciting